This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Father, we do uh, pray for our Thirst Conference uh, coming up in November, that you would be doing a work in our lives even now to prepare us for that. And we pray now that you would prepare us for your word. Lord, we are hungry and thirsty for a word from you today. And so we ask you to speak through your word uh, to our hearts. Uh, Give us exactly uh, what we need to be equipped to go forth and to be your people in this world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, open your Bible to the book of Proverbs. If you are uh, new today, uh, we just began a, a new series last week in the book of Proverbs. We're calling it The Way of of wisdom. And so we're taking six weeks just to kind of look at some of the primary themes in the book of Proverbs. And so today we are going to be in chapter 3. Of Proverbs. So if you'll turn to chapter 3, we're talking here today about the wisdom God blesses. Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 1 through 6. And so if you'll just follow along in your Bibles as we look at this together. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. The Economist is an international magazine, and they they recently had an article that talked about how totalitarian governments try to manipulate the social media of the people in their countries. Obviously, there are a lot of things out there on social media that these governments don't want their people to see. And so... Rather than trying to delete every tweet or every post that they don't want their people to see, these totalitarian governments have begun to to take a, a new strategy, and it's this. They have begun to flood the social media accounts of people in their country with just a glut of distracting Facebook posts and tweets. In other words, they can't delete every post or tweet that they don't like, but they can try to obscure them or bury them by just unleashing a flood of distraction. Now, those of us who live in the West uh, may not have a government that's intentionally flooding our social media accounts with distractions, but we really don't have to have that, right? There, there, we exist, we live in a culture where there is an information glut and there is an absolute flood of distraction that can distract us from what is true 
and rich and soul-satisfying. Old Testament uh, scholar and pastor Ray Ortland says this, in our chaotic lives of constant stop, start, stop, start, short attention span mental habits, with an endless stream of momentarily visible Twitter feed fragments of information, we have been reduced to one splinter factoid after another, and we are trying to patch together some kind of elegant whole worth living. That is difficult. But the problem is not just that we are fidgety and distracted. It's that our information, however much we have, is no basis for a life. We need Jesus to counsel us with a new and yet ancient wisdom that comes from him. Then we can live. Well, Proverbs gives us that wisdom that we need. And today we're going to talk about one of the most well-known passages in the book of Proverbs. So when we think about chapter 3 and verses 1 through 6, I want us to think of it kind of in, in two levels. The first thing that we see is the blessings that God confers, and then we're going to see the trust that God commands. First of all, we see the blessings that God confers. So let's look at verses 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Now notice here how personal and how affectionate this address is. He addresses what he's about to say to my son. And of course, this is not meant to be gender specific. It could just as easily, and it just as, just as much means my daughter. In fact, some translations translate it my child. So he's not singling out sons or daughters. This is to either a son or a daughter. And what's really significant here for us as believers is that we need to understand that if we are in Christ, we are sons and daughters of God. That we have been adopted by him as his beloved children. John 1 and verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, meaning Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Romans 8 and verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Again, I, I love what Ray Ortland says about this, commenting on what the Bible says here in this address. He says this, God is speaking to us as his beloved ones, his adopted children. He was not stuck with us. He chose us because he loves us. And now he is coaching us in how we can be fully alive for his glory. So how does our loving father coach us in verses 1 and 2? Let's take a look at them again. He says, do not forget my teaching." 
But let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So last week, we talked about the fact that, that Hebrew poetry, and especially in Proverbs, has an A-line and a B-line. And so the B-line will sort of clarify the A-line. And that's the pattern that we see here in verses 1 and 2. So the A-line here, which is verse 1, talks, gives us God's counsel. The B-line, which is verse 2, shows us the blessing that he gives to those who heed his counsel. So let's take it one by one. First of all, the, the, the A-line, uh, verse 1. He tells us here, do not forget my teaching. So God is concerned here with, with the tendency that we all have toward spiritual amnesia. We tend to so easily forget the commandments of God. And it's not just sort of backslidden believers that he has in mind here. Sometimes even those of us who are seriously trying to walk with God can so easily forget his commandments. How, how many times have you had a wonderful time of Bible study and prayer in the morning? And then you get up from that time of intimacy with God and you walk out into the day and you begin to juggle all these things at one time and you find yourself just sort of not really in communion with God at all. You find yourself very distant from him. Well, that happens even to preachers. But we're to fight this. We're to fight this tendency to do life alone, apart from communion with God. And the latter part of verse 1 tells us how we fight that tendency to forget his teachings. He says, let your heart keep my commandments. When he says, let your heart keep, he's talking about meditating on or maybe even memorizing God's word so that we take it with us. I found that it's really helpful after that time of a Bible study and prayer in the morning to pick out a part of, of a verse or maybe part of a verse or a scriptural truth from my time with the Lord that morning and, and, and decide, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of chew on this throughout the day and I'm going to kind of preach this to myself during the day and kind of encourage myself and kind of pray over the scriptural truth throughout the day. That's meditation on scripture. And so that way, the, the word of God is not so much like water that runs through a pipe, but it's more like the word of God becomes more like a bag of tea that is steeping in your life and it's kind of working itself out and permeating, okay? Let your heart keep his commandments. And then in verse 2, we see the blessing that is attached to that. He says in verse 2, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. So in other words, if, if we are, are, are keeping the commandments of God and, and letting that 
word of God just abide in us. If we're, we're thinking about that and meditating on that during the course of life and, and, and walking in that kind of intimate communion with God, the result is, is peace. The Hebrew word is shalom, and it's incredibly beautiful and rich. It, it means a sense of wholeness. It means that your life will have a sense of wholeness and, and well-being. Well, if, if you live life with that shalom, that, that peace of, of God, then the, you're certainly going to live a happier life, and you'll probably live a longer life than if you live sort of a godless, anxiety-filled, sinful life. Your life's going to certainly be happier, and it's probably going to be longer. He talks here about length of days and years of life. Now, does this mean that if, if someone dies as a young person or in middle age that they, that they weren't practicing this? Absolutely not. Of course not. We all know godly people who love the word of God and who, who, who held on to his teachings that passed away very young. We heard an example of this just in the past um, week or so, Nabil Qureshi, who worked with Ravi Zacharias. Uh, he was a devout Muslim who came to follow Jesus when he was a student at ODU and had written a, a book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, which I would commend to you about that. But, but Nabil went home to be with the Lord at the age of 34, just within the past week or so. And we could cite many examples of, of very godly people who died young. So verse 2 is not to be taken as an ironclad guarantee of a long life if you live a godly life. It doesn't mean that. And that brings us to sort of an interpretive point that we need to understand as we read Proverbs. The genre of Proverbs is, is not, most of the Proverbs are not meant to be read in sort of a quid pro quo kind of a way. Like, if you do this, this will always be the case. That's not the genre of literature that Proverbs is. Proverbs is teaching us about the wisdom of God and, and what is most likely to occur when that wisdom is practiced. But a lot of times... Proverbs get sort of wrongly interpreted. One famous example would be Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, I've heard that verse cited as sort of an ironclad guarantee that if godly parents will raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that they have a guarantee from God that those kids are always going to turn out godly. That's not the case. It's not meant to be read that way. But what is true is that if kids are raised by godly parents in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, they are hundreds of times more likely to follow the Lord later in life than if they weren't raised that way. Okay, we could cite many other examples. Another example that I hear sort of misinterpreted a lot would be Proverbs 16.3, um, Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. What if your plans are dumb? I mean, seriously. What if your plans are ill-conceived and wrongly motivated? 
Is God obligated to make them succeed? Of course not. And here, this brings us to another thing that we need to understand about Proverbs. When God talks about success, he's talking about his definition of success, not the world's definition. God's definition of success is faithfulness. And that brings us to verses 3 and 4 because we're going to see him talk about both success and faithfulness. Let's look at those verses together. He says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Again, it's the classic pattern. A-line gives us God's counsel the B line which is verse 4 gives us the blessing when we heed his counsel so let's look first of all at his counsel in verse 3 he says let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you now when you think about steadfast love and faithfulness you should think about the character of God himself in Exodus 34, 6, when God reveals himself to Moses, look at what he says. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in what? Steadfast love and faithfulness. This is the character of God. And so we are to take on the character of God. Let's look again at verse 3. He says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So, in other words, the steadfast love and faithfulness of God are to be within us they're to be written on the tablets of our hearts, and they are to shine through us. They should be like a beautiful necklace around our neck. When my girls were little and we would have our little time of family worship together, I taught them this verse. Um, I said, you know, the, put, it around your, put it around yourself like a beautiful necklace. And and uh, for some time after that, when we would gather together for family worship, Courtney and Cassie would say, Daddy, tell us about the beautiful necklace. <laughs> well, we're to put this, we're to put God's, we're to display God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Let it shine through our lives like a, a beautiful piece of jewelry. It's not to be hidden. It's to be lived out. It flows from within the tablet of our heart through our lives and shines out like, like a, a beautiful piece of, of, of jewelry. Uh, recently, you may have heard about the controversy involving a, a judge that was nominated to the, uh, the federal bench. Amy Barrett is a law professor at, at Notre Dame. And so she was nominated to be a federal judge. She's a committed Catholic Christian. And, of course, our Constitution says that 
there should be no religious tests for public office. And so no one should be excluded from public office or from being a judge because of whatever their faith is. But some of the senators on the Senate Judiciary Committee decided to take issue with her Christian faith. And so uh, one of them, Senator Al Franken, asked Judge Barrett, are you an Orthodox Catholic? Like this was something to run from or be ashamed of. And maybe the most outrageous comments were made by Senator Dianne Feinstein, uh, who said to, uh, to Ms. Barrett, when I read your speeches and your writings, I can tell that the dogma, talking about Christian dogma, Christian doctrine, that the dogma lives loudly within you, as if this was something that would possibly exclude her from being a, a federal judge. I love what um, the president of Notre Dame, John Jenkins, uh, wrote. He, he wrote in an open letter to Senator Feinstein the following. Uh, Dr. Jenkins, the president of Notre, of Notre Dame, said this, it is chilling to hear from a United States senator that this might now disqualify someone from service as a federal judge. I am one in whose heart dogma lives loudly, as it has for centuries, and many Americans, some of whom have given their lives in service to this nation. I ask you and your colleagues to respect those in whom dogma lives loudly, which is a condition we call faith. Um, verse 3 is saying that the dogma should live loudly <laughs> within you. You've heard the expression, I don't want to wear my faith on my sleeve. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says wear it on your sleeve, wear it around your neck, okay? Wear it through every aspect of your life. Don't hide who you are. And certainly don't hide the character of God. Let God's love fl flow through your life. Let his faithfulness, his character, abide within you, written on the tablet of your heart, and flow through you like something that a beautiful piece of jewelry that adorns and shines outward to, to bless others and to reflect his character. Verse 4 tells us the blessing that's attached to that. Look at verse 4. He says, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Here we find God's definition of success. His definition of success is faithfulness. And he's saying here that if we are faithful, that we will enjoy his smile. And not only will we find favor in the sight of God, but if you live this kind of a life, a life of steadfast love and faithfulness, that's going to be a life that is going to be attractive to most people, now some people may persecute you for your faith, but to most people, if you are a, a loving person, if they can see that your, your faith is real, they'll respect it, even if they don't necessarily share it. And so it's something that leads to, um, to favor in, in the sight of, of, of God and, 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 and most people as well. So the blessings God confers, second, the trust 
God commands. The trust God commands. We see it in verses five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. The danger when we come to a passage that is as well known as this one is that we can think that we sort of know it all. Many of you have maybe memorized verses five and six. I would, I would encourage you to memorize verses five and six. But the danger is that we can think, well, if we've known these verses for a long time, that we know everything there is to know about the ver these verses. That's not the way the Bible works. The Bible is like this gold mine where you keep getting nuggets of gold. You keep mining treasures throughout the course of your life. I've known verses 5 and 6 for a long time too, but I learned new things, treasures, this week as I studied this text. For instance, the meaning of trust here in verse 5 is to, to sort of prostrate oneself and put your total weight upon the Lord. N not just sort of part of our weight, but all of our weight. Just rely completely on him. The word acknowledge here, in all your ways acknowledge him. It doesn't just mean that we sort of give a nod to God. It, it means that, that we are aware of God's presence continually and, and that we are, are, we, we are having fellowship with him in all of our ways throughout the course of the day. And when it says here that he will make straight your paths, well, we think of that as God's guidance, and that is an element of what he's talking about here. We, many of us have memorized these verses in the King James, and of course it says there, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And of course, and that's not a bad translation, the element of guidance is certainly there, but it means even more than that. It's even richer than that. It means not only will God give us his guidance, but it means he will, he will take us all the way to his appointed end for our lives. So the question is, are we practicing this? Are we trusting in the Lord with all of our hearts? Are we leaning not on our own understanding? Ray Ortland gives a couple of diagnostic questions to help us determine the degree to which we're practicing these verses. A couple of questions. First, do you let the Bible overrule your thinking? Let's say that you're faced with a decision, and if you simply look at this decision based on sight, based on your own human understanding, you're going to make, you're, that decision is going to go one way. But if you look at that same issue through the lens of faith, through the lens of what God's word says, you're going to arrive at a very different decision. One example, the way that we handle money. If you look at things just from a human perspective, then you would conclude that, well, you know what? If I tithe and give offerings to my church, then I'm going to end up with less. 
That's human math. God's math works differently. Okay, look in your Bible um, at verses 9 and 10 of chapter 3. What does God say here? He says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. We could cite dozens of texts that say similar things to that. So God's word tells us that if we will give faithfully, that we can never outgive him that God will provide, and he can do that in all kinds of ways. Yes, he can bless us financially and often does, but don't limit him to that. We have a limitless God who can provide for us in, in, a limitless, in limitless kinds of ways. And so if we look at a decision like how are we going to handle money from the perspective of what God says, what his word says, you know, we reach a very different conclusion than we do if we kind of look at this purely in our own understanding. Second question, when was the last time that you took a risk to obey Christ? I want you to meet Jen. Um, I met Jen week before last uh, at my trustee meeting for uh, the International Mission Board. So Jen grew up on a farm in Tennessee she went to Southeastern Seminary in North Carolina. And in 2013, she made the incredibly courageous, risky decision to go to a country in North Africa as a single woman to serve the Lord. And it was the type of country where you don't just show up and say, hey, I'm here to be a missionary. You had to have some sort of, a, of an access, some sort of a, of a real job to do. And so Jen had a background growing up on a farm, and so she began to work in sort of in this rural area on a, a farm that raises and sells goats. And what that job also enabled her to do was to have a, a, a lot of access to uh, to the Muslim women that lived in that area. And so she had a pretty amazing ministry there. One day she was on her way to the capital of this particular country. She was driving. And if you've ever been on roads in, 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 in much of the world, it's, it's like this. But I want you to try to imagine it. Imagine that you leave the service today and you drive down a road like Pitchkittle Road. And imagine that there are thousands of people on foot and bicycles or maybe rickshaws, little carriages on either side of the road. Just thousands of people on foot or in one of these little non-motorized vehicles. So it was that way in Jen's country. And so on this day, she was on her way to, to the capital city when tragedy occurred. An 80-year-old woman stepped out in front of Jen's car. She had no opportunity to swerve, no opportunity to, to break. And this woman was killed. Jen obviously was just 
beside herself with grief you can imagine. But then something beautiful happened. This woman's family not only understood, but they completely forgave Jen. In fact, they treated her like one of their own. They, they allowed her to even be a part of this woman's funeral. And, and as part of that, she was able to, to bear testimony to, to the love of Christ to dozens of people that were present. It's a beautiful thing. There was one local official, and this is also the case in much of the world. There was one local official who was corrupt, who almost certainly was looking for a bribe. And he had Jen thrown into prison in this North African country. She was put in prison for between about five and a half weeks. Just imagine this single woman American in this prison in North Africa. And again, God did incredible things. She was put into a, a cell with eight other women. They loved her. They accepted her. And they were also very receptive when she began to study the Bible with them. And God began to work in their lives as these women were discovering the one who came to bring deliverance to the captives, Jesus. Our, our government got involved and eventually all the charges were dropped against Jen. She was released from prison and she was able to be back home in, in Tennessee uh, for Christmas last year. But do you know where she's going to be this year for Christmas? Back on the goat farm in North Africa with the people that she loves and that God called her to go to. Now look, the world looks at things like that with eyes that cannot possibly understand. Why would you do this? Why, why would an American, with, with all of the advantages that we have, why would a young American and a young single woman at that, why would she do something like this? Because the world looks at life differently and with different eyes than Jen. Jen has her eye on the one that came for her. The one that that left the glory of heaven, that, that did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing and took on the very nature of a servant and was born in the likeness of men and who experienced death on a cross for us and who has now been exalted to the highest place. Jen has her eyes on the one who loved her so much that he came for her and so she goes for others. We're called to live lives that don't always play it safe and, and do what's understandable in human terms. 
God calls us to step out in faith. To trust in him with all of our hearts and to live boldly for him. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us to practice what you tell us here in chapter 3. And we, and we thank you that, that when we do that, that we can expect your blessing. And as we just continue to reflect before the Lord in a time of prayer, listen, I would, I would ask you, where are you in a relationship of trust with the Lord? It could be that you're here today and you've never trusted him as your Savior and Lord. You have never said, I am turning from trying to live life my own way and I'm turning to Jesus and I'm following him as my king. And if that's the case, he invites you to come to him today. Turn to the Savior. Trust in him. Perhaps you're here today and God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family as we seek to follow him together. Maybe as, as someone who's trying to live a committed Christian life, God's speaking to you about going to a, a different level of trust and obedience. So Father, make our hearts open and vulnerable to what you would desire to do in our lives today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here and you want to talk with someone about a relationship with the Lord, I'm going to be here. Our pastors are, are going to be here at the front. You can come uh, during our song of invitation. You can talk to us after the service. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about being a part, seeking membership in our church family, uh, we would love to come alongside you, and you are welcome to come as we stand and sing. Let's stand together. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. 
I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer and find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.